Good evening, and welcome to the Supernatural Lighthouse. Here at the Lighthouse, every fortnight, we take a look at a different topic, be it paranormal, strange and unusual legends, cryptids, and even UFOs from time to time. So, come on in, have a seat, and let's see where our light will shine tonight. Hey everyone, it's great to see you all, and thanks for joining me here tonight on the relaunch of the Supernatural Lighthouse. I'm your host, Dan, by the way. Now, we've been dark for much too long, and I'm really sorry about that, but, well, it, it is 2020, okay? Let's take care of a little bit of housekeeping before we move on. I would really like to hear from you guys. Really. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think about the show. Give me some ideas for future shows. Or, if you have an experience, you want to share it? Drop me a line. Tell me about it. And yes, I'll even take criticism. I'll be honest, I may not like it, but I will still take it because, hell, I may be able to learn a thing or two. Now, with all that said, I have an idea like I would like to do a Christmas show. My own personal idea is to do a listener's show where you guys tell your stories. But I don't know. You guys got some other ideas? Drop me a line. Let me know about that. You can email me at lighthousekeeper604 at gmail.com. Also, we've got an Instagram page, and that's at Supernatural Lighthouse. I posted some pictures tonight, and coming up for the show, I'll post more in the next day or two about the ships and everything. So take a look there. Future shows, we'll be posting pictures as well. And, well, that's enough of the housekeeping. Okay, tonight we're shining our light on Almeda, California, the home of the USS Hornet. What many say is the most haunted Navy warship. And once we share a bit of her history, God knows she's earned it. The Hornet is the eighth ship in the Navy to carry the name Hornet. The first was one of two ships that were commissioned by the Continental Navy in October of 1775. Now, we're not going to run through all eight ships, but we will take a look at number seven, which was the Hornet before the CV-12. The USS Hornet CV-8 was commissioned on October 28, 1941. Six weeks later, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Now, the crew of the Hornet decided to put themselves firmly in the history books early on in the war. On April 17, 1942, the Hornet launched what became famously known as the Doolittle Raid. It was 16 B-25 bombers taking off of the flight deck of the Hornet and attacked the Japanese homeland. Now, I'm sure many of you are out there saying, it's an aircraft carrier, that's what it's supposed to do, Dan. Well, the Hornet was not built to launch bombers. At least not ones these size. These were big planes. Years ago, I watched a video of um, the actual raid and them launching off the Kitty Hawk. And you see the plane go off the front of the ship and then sink down. And I swore there for a second that thing was going to get run over by the ship. The next thing you know, you see it slowly rising up in the air. And it was pretty impressive. Okay, well, enough about the Doolittle Raid. After the Doolittle Raid, she continued on to the Battle of Midway. From there, she sailed to Midway Island and fought in the Battle of Midway in June of 1942. Historians say this was the turning point in the war. The U.S. Navy sank four Japanese carriers and lost the USS Yorktown in the battle. From there, the Hornet sailed on to the Battle of the Solomon Islands in September of 1942. In October of 1942, the Hornet sailed into the Battle of the Santa Cruz Islands. There she fought hard, but came under severe attack she was hit by two kamikazes, struck by two bombs, and hit by three torpedoes before she succumbed to damage and sank to the bottom of the ocean. 
Now, an interesting little note on this as I was doing research, I found that the CV-8, the original Hornet, aircraft carrier that is, was discovered 77 years later, resting at the bottom of the ocean. Her exact location has never been released, out of respect for those who served aboard her and for those who still serve aboard her in her icy grave. Okay, so now we know a little bit of history about the CV-8, so we can go into the CV-12. She started out as the USS Curisage when her keel was laid on August 3, 1942. Now, in January of 1943, just after losing the Hornet, President Roosevelt picked up the phone and called Frank Knox over at the Pentagon, who happened to be the Secretary of the Navy. And he said, Frank, I want another Hornet. Frank said, yes, sir, we'll see what we can do. Then on January 23, 1943, the CV-12 became the USS Hornet. She was launched on August, August 30, 1943, and she was commissioned on November 29, 1943. She was blessed by a rabbi, a priest, and a minister. Now, during this time period of the war, men were really tied up between Europe and the Pacific. And, well, the ladies stood up, the famous Rosie the Riveters. During this time period, they helped build the Hornet and 24 other ships. It's also nice to say that not one of those 24 other ships was sunk. Thank you, ladies. Her first tour of duty was an 18-month cruise without setting into port once during that 18 months. 15 of the 18 months saw her in 59 battles. That's right, 59 as in 5-9. It's a whole bunch of battles. Her crews shot down over 600 aircraft, a Navy record. Destroyed 742 aircraft on the ground, a Navy record. In total, her crews destroyed over 1,400 aircraft. Alone shot down 67 planes. Yep, both of them Navy records. In one month, she had 255 kills, a Navy record. One squadron with 40 pilots, 28 of them, Races. Yes, say it with me. A Navy record. She sank 73 ships. Damaged 413 ships. Now to give you an idea, that was over 1.2 million of tonnage. And a Navy record. Now, she didn't go without being hit or struck or anything like that during these battles. She was hit by a torpedo. It bounced off her hull and did no damage. The only real significant damage that the Hornet got during the war was when she got caught in a typhoon. She was hit by 60 to 100 foot waves that washed over the deck and damaged about 25 feet of her bow, the front of the ship, of the uh, flight deck there. It was so severely damaged that she couldn't do her job and launch planes. So what do they do? Put it in full reverse, traveling at 18 knots. It's about 20 miles per hour for those of us who use MPH. For those of you that use the metric system and use kilometers, it's about 33 kilometers per hour. And she launched her planes off the, her stern. She finished the mission. After the Battle of Okinawa, she was ordered to Hawaii for repairs, but was div diverted to Hunter's Point in California, where her crew and her were given a long overdue R&R. Before she was able to get back into the battle, the war came to an end. She was given the honor of being a member of Operation Magic Carpet, bringing troops back home.
from the Pacific Theater. She was decommissioned in January 15th of 1947 and became part of the reserve fleet until she was recommissioned after a conversion to an attack aircraft carrier, also known as CVA, in September of 1953. She played a minor role in the Korean War and operated in support of forces during the Vietnam War. She was the recovery aircraft carrier for the Apollo 11 and Apollo 12. The Apollo 11, which we all know was the first men to walk on the moon, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. And what's really fitting is on her last job, she picked up the crew for the Apollo 12. It was an all-naval aviator crew. Astronauts Richard Gordon, Charles Conrad Jr., and Alan Bean. Okay, that's going to wrap up the history lesson here. Now, let's get into some of these stories from both crews and visitors and even people that work as volunteers on the new museum. And we'll get into that right after this. It is said that the flight deck of a carrier is one of the most dangerous places in the world to work. It is. You gotta worry about, well, propellers spinning. There have been crewmen that's walked right into spinning propellers. Jet intakes, sucking crewmen in. You've got guys that have been blown off the flight deck from exhaust from the jet, what we used to call jet blast, or prop wash from the propeller blades spinning from the helicopter or a prop plane that's blown people off the deck. Now, in her 27 years of service, the Hornet lost a lot of crew members due to shipboard accidents, to battles, and sadly, to suicides. Now, there are many reports. A lot of them were just like one or two sentences that I really couldn't get into and really couldn't verify, but there's a lot of them, so it kind of makes me wonder, does this really work? And these are sailors walking about doing their duties. They're just doing their job, like they did in 1943. A lot of the people both visitors and staff have said they see a lot of, quote, see-through sailors, unquote. On the flight deck, there are reports of headless men walking about doing their duties, victims of the arresting wire snapping, no doubt. There is one member of the ghostly crew who reportedly enjoys opening and slamming hatches and enjoys a good laugh and talking with his crewmates. There is even one report that I got to say I really enjoyed of. It made me think of um, Tom Sawyer is after the Hornet was moored in Almeida, one of the uh, volunteers was doing some painting when he remembered he had something else to do. He left to do it, and upon returning, he found the painting had been completed to what he described as Navy standards. And he states, no one was on the level with me. And surprise, surprise, no one took credit. There are a number of reports of people smelling pipe tobacco. These are mostly in areas that are not open to the public, but there have been a couple of reports of it being smelt on the hangar deck and then seeing a man wearing khakis with a pipe in his mouth. Something it's the air boss who died at the Battle of Midway. Now, the only problem with that one is if it's the air boss from the Battle of Midway, he would have been from CV-8. I wondered if he'd come to the new ship with the old name just to keep an eye on her. This one is from Bob, a Coast Guardsman from Almeida, California. In early 2009, I was volunteering on the USS Hornet with a group of my fellow U.S. Coast Guardsmen. We were painting a compartment, and a few of us were wearing white Tyvek paper suits. When our paint started to run low, I went off in search of the Hornet worker that was supplying our paint. Getting lost in the process, I wandered the passageways 
and came off a side passage onto the starboard main passageway, one deck below the hangar deck. I saw what I thought was one of my co-workers stepping off the main hall into a side passage about 25 feet from me. I called out to him, but he kept walking, and when I got to the hall he had stepped into, there was a chain blocking the entrance, and it was an empty compartment. Needless to say, I was confused, but kept walking and eventually found my way back to the room where we were painting. When I saw the co-worker I thought I'd seen earlier, I mentioned it to him that I had called to him in the passageway, but he told me he hadn't left the room for about an hour. Later, when I mentioned this to one of the Hornet employees, one lady said that I had seen the, quote, dress white's ghost, apparently an apparition of a sailor wearing his dress white uniform. Okay, I found a couple of stories here that uh, both were anonymous, but one of them happens to do that if you're on watch and you want to grab a snack, you might want to think about that first. I was aboard the Hornet from 1965 through to March of 1969. I came aboard as a machinist mate striker, but was told that my help was needed in the fire room for a few months. Well, you know the rest of the story. The number three fire room became my home. In the fire room, you become accustomed to the sound of machinery in that space. Cold iron watch seemed to be the time when strange things would happen. Any snipe can tell you, and machinery space is a different place during cold iron. It's during this downtime, when no machinery is running, that you hear all the squeaks, creaks, bumps, thumps, moans, groans, and assorted sounds in that space. These are normal, cold iron sounds. Scary as hell, but normal. It also became normal to occasionally have the feeling that you were being watched, hear muffled voices, or even out of the corner of your eye get a glimpse of someone walking to the back of a boiler, only to find no one there. In order to make it through the watch, you just tell yourself, it's my mind playing tricks on me. That's the only explanation you have. Well, for me, those mind-saving denials came to a screeching halt one watch. I had a cold iron watch in number two fire room, not my home. Repairs were being made and it was in disarray. Some deck plates were up, boiler front open, all this good stuff. So I started my lonely watch, a little reading, a little singing, a dance move or two, anything to get you through the watch. Somewhere along the way, the hunger pain started. I had some snacks stashed, so I decided to make a mad dash to my locker. Five minutes tops. I was back in the fire room, sitting at the bottom of the ladder, eating my cheese whiz or whatever it is I had. I could hear someone working in the firebox. Being a boiler tech, I had worked inside the boiler firebox before. I knew that no one just climbs in the boiler firebox unless they have work to do inside. So figuring that someone from the number two fire room was inside working, I sat there eating my cheese whiz. It was about 10 or 15 minutes later, I walked over to let them know that I was outside. Within about two feet of the boiler front, I heard the sound of a paint scraper drop to the firebox floor. I figured they heard me coming, so I stuck my face in the opening. There in the middle of the firebox floor was a paint scraper, but missing was the person that was using it. There was no one there. I was caught completely off guard. There I am, standing with my head sticking through the opening, where only seconds before I heard someone working. Now there was no one. Suddenly, the thought of a guillotine crossed my mind. I quickly climbed to the top of the ladder and in the safe safety of a passageway, 
There, I finished my watch. I laugh about what had occurred, but from that day on, the explanation of, it must be your mind playing tricks, just didn't work for me anymore. No doubt! I, I, I can't even picture how I would respond to that. Get over there and see the paint scraper, but, whoa, where's the person at? Now, this next story is about a guy who got a helping hand. In 1995 or 1996, I'm not sure which, we had a lot of ship traffic coming in and out of Almeida. The Lincoln had just left, and they wanted to get the Hornet over to Pier 1 for one reason or another. I always hated dead-sticking the Hornet. It moved like a cow, and it took all day, and I always somehow got assigned to the forecastle. The forecastle was always hot during the summer, and no power, and it just made it that much more interesting. We cast off the lines, and the tugs pulled us off pier. I had two line handlers with me, and the transit from one pier to the next was likely to take an hour or so. They wanted to go up and check out the flight deck. I told them no problem, but get the morning lines ready to run first. They went ahead and laid out the line and tied the heaving line to the eye. The heaving line was up on the deck, and the bitter end was passed through with the chalk. They left and closed the hatch behind them. I was sitting by myself when I noticed the mooring line was passed through the bits in the wrong direction. I mumbled out loud, that ain't going to work, and I froze when I heard a voice behind me say, that isn't right. I turned around and didn't see anyone. I walked forward and checked the hatch, and it was chained shut. I shook it off and went back to the line. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone walking by the capstan. I turned, and figuring it was a line handler, he was wearing dungarees after all, and asked if he had said something. He didn't even look at me. He bent over and was checking something out. At that moment, something caught my eye, and I blinked. When I looked back, the sailor was nowhere to be found. Well, I went and opened the hatch and went out into the passageway. I'll admit it, I was scared. I waited till the line handlers came back and went back in with them. I never told them or anyone else a thing. I didn't want to be seen as one of those ghost kooks. Anyhow, I saw a TV special on ghosts on the Hornet, and they mentioned the activity in the forecastle area, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to finally confess to my experience. Okay, things that I know for a fact. I was the only one in the forecastle at the time. My line handlers had shut the hatch, and there was no way anyone could have opened it without hearing it. And all the other doors were chained and locked. I can't explain it. Okay, now myself, or if anybody's ever been on a ship, those big heavy metal doors, they close or they open, you know it. There is no doubt about it. I was on a Girl Scout Junior crew member sleepover along with Rebecca, my best friend, and her mom, and my mom. I thought it was going to be normal. Boy, was I wrong. I had just turned out my reading light, and I'll tell you now, I was on the third bunk. Nobody was sleeping under me. Rebecca was on the bunk next to me, but nobody, nobody was under me. Back to the story. The light was off, and I tried to go to sleep, and I felt three pushes below me like I was being woken up. So I got up, looked around, and I saw a white light in the corner, and I saw two sailor ghosts. One said to the other, watch that one. Well, I didn't know what to do. First, I pinched myself, and it hurt. I looked around, but nobody else was awake. 
to see what I had just seen. So I laid down, pulled my covers over my head, and wait till everybody else was awake. And no, I haven't told anybody about it. Okay, if it would have been me, I think I would have thought seriously about sleeping out there on the dock. The next story is about a husband and wife, and well, I think all husbands admit to doing this every now and then. You just gotta see what something is and where it goes. My husband and I went with my aunt to the USS Hornet, and at the end of the day, when the tours were closing down, my husband drugged me off to a section of the ship that was obviously not open to tourists. The hallways were dark, the side rooms had bed frames just tossed into them, and debris was strewn all over like a trash heap. I was getting nervous we would either get lost or get in trouble for being in a section that was closed. Suddenly, a full uniformed officer came from around the corner. I knew for sure we were in trouble. He walked past us, never made any eye contact, no acknowledgement of our presence whatsoever. He then turned into one of the rooms about 10 feet ahead. We followed behind him and we were passing the side room he went into, again piled high with bed frames and whatnot. He was gone. I told my husband we had to get out of there. Just then my camera crashed to the floor and the camera had come apart from the strap. Now, I have owned this camera for eight years. Never before and never since has the camera come off the strap. I think back now, and I think, what sent off alarms was the lack of air movement as he walked by and no acknowledgments that we were even there. I truly believe we saw a ghost. And that's from Catherine. Okay, just a couple of uh, closing things on the um, USS Hornet. To begin with, she was 820 feet long, and she had a crew of 382 officers and 3,003 enlisted men. Now, the age of the enlisted men averaged out between 18 and 24, and I'd be willing to bet that more than a few of those were under the age of 18. Okay. Thank you for joining us this evening. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. For the veterans out there, thank you very much for your service. It is honestly because of uh, people like you we can do things like this. So, thank you. Okay, coming up in two weeks, we're going to have our next new show. And we're going to revisit the Valley of the Vapors, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Those of you that may remember it from months ago when we first started this off, we're going to go a little bit deeper this time. Also, again, love to hear your comments. Email us at lighthousekeeper604 at gmail.com. And if you guys can rate us on the platform you're listening to us on, please do. And, you know, again, really love to hear your thoughts on the show. Just email us. Tell us, hell, tell us some of your stories if you got some of them. Tell us some of your thoughts for future shows. And, yeah, I'll even take some criticism. May not like it, but I'll take it. Okay, everybody, thanks again, and we hope to see you again in two weeks here at the Lighthouse. <laughs>